It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, October 29, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Alaska's congressional delegation and governor are welcoming the Trump administration's decision to fully exempt the Tongass National Forest from the Clinton-era roadless rule. That's a federal regulation that generally restricts road building and industrial activity on national forest lands that don't already have them. Industry figures are also applauding the decision. Tessa Axelson leads the Alaska Forest Association, a Ketchikan-based timber industry group. The forest product industry has been imperiled for some time. There's a handful of small operators that are working in the Tongass, harvesting timber. In order to continue to survive, those businesses are dependent on a predictable supply of timber. And lifting the rule, she says, provides that predictable supply. She says the industry supports hundreds of jobs, including businesses that aren't directly related to logging. But she says she doesn't think lifting the rule will mean large-scale timber operations will come roaring back. The U.S. Forest Service says lifting the roadless rule would open up around 168,000 old-growth acres to potential logging. That's about 2 percent of the area protected by the rule, or 1 percent of the total Tongass. But it's not just about timber. Frank Bergstrom is a mining consultant in Juneau with some 40 years of experience. He says it could make mineral exploration more attractive to investors. But he says development projects still require other forms of federal review. This is one obstacle that has at least been diminished, but there's a long road to hoe. Roadless rule supporters dispute that it held up economic development in the region. The Forest Service routinely approved waivers for energy, mining, and infrastructure projects in designated roadless areas, says Austin Williams of Trout Unlimited in Anchorage. The only reason for a full repeal of the roadless rule on the Tongass is to open up areas for logging. Every single other alternative would have allowed non-logging projects to move forward as they have in the past. A Freedom of Information request from the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council found that 96 percent of public comments from within and outside Alaska favored keeping the rule in place. Supporters also live in some of the wildest places around the Tongass. Tribal leaders say people forage, hunt, and fish in protected lands. Of course, our reliance on the Tongass for our way of life, uh, that is what we're trying to protect as natives in, in southeast Alaska is our way of life. That's Joel Jackson, president of the organized village of Cake on southeast Alaska's Kupernoff Island. His was the first of half a dozen tribes to withdraw its cooperation with the Forest Service. He says it became clear early on that their voices weren't being listened to. They just completely ignored our <clears throat> our input uh, and the input of the other five tribes. So... I felt very disrespected. The Trump administration's decision could be reversed through a court challenge or an act of Congress. Alternatively, another presidential administration could revisit the rule, but that would require public comment, meetings, and another multi-year process. But until then, some 9.4 million acres in the Tongass are no longer bound by the restrictions under the Clinton-era roadless rule. Daily Sitka Sentinel co-publisher Sandy Polson has been inducted into the Alaska Women's Hall of Fame, only the third Sitkin to be so honored. The official ceremony was held online on October 20th. Polson is one of 12 distinguished women inducted into the hall's 2020 class. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Sandy Polson and her husband Thad Polson have been publishing the Daily Sitka Sentinel five days a week for just over 50 years. They met when she was a reporter for the Oklahoma City Times, and he was an editor for the Daily Oklahoman, both papers published out of the same office. 
So that oaky twang you hear in Sandy's voice is the real thing. I grew up over the Southwest and I loved moving. We spent like 51 times and really liked it. And then we wound up here in Sitka 50 years ago and don't want to go nowhere else. Polson makes it sound inevitable that she would publish one of the nation's last independent daily newspapers in a small town in Alaska. But there were many stops along the way, and in her words, a lot of good luck. Polson was the middle child in a family of seven children who earned a scholarship to the University of Tulsa by winning the school's Going to College quiz. She majored in journalism and would serve as editor of the campus newspaper, The Collegian, her junior and senior years. Under her leadership, The Collegian was honored as Oklahoma's outstanding newspaper by the Collegiate Press Association. After her marriage to Thad Polson, the couple moved first to Salt Lake City and then to New York City to work for the Associated Press. Eventually, they were offered positions in the AP's fledgling bureau in Juneau, Alaska, not far from where one of Sandy's older sisters, Dee Longenbaugh, coincidentally was living in Sitka. The publisher of Sitka's newspaper at the time, Lou Williams Jr., also owned the Ketchikan Daily News, In 1969, he lured the young AP reporters over from Juneau to run his Sitka paper and eventually persuaded them to buy it. Many people are surprised to learn that Sitka has an independent daily newspaper, and most are downright startled to discover that it is so good. Sandy Polson's listing in the Hall of Fame articulates what most Sitkins have known all along. Quote, While it is one of the smallest circulation dailies in the nation, the Sentinel maintains the very highest standards for journalism, with comprehensive, even-handed, accurate coverage of local government issues and events by two full-time reporters, plus coverage by other staff. This comes from Sandy Polson's and Thad Polson's commitment to the ideal of journalism as essential to an informed public and fundamental to a functioning democracy. As a journalism professional who came of age before the Watergate scandal, Polson's idea of the press is not a glamorous or dramatic profession, but a vital service that depends on diligent effort. Polson had five children of her own, all while working full-time at the Sentinel. The kids played in the reams of wire copy coming out of the teletype or bounced on Sandy's knee while she laid out pages and crafted headlines. As soon as the kids were old enough, they'd hit the streets every afternoon after school to sell newspapers. Despite all this, Polson says she was shocked when the Alaska Women's Hall of Fame called to tell her she had been selected to join the ranks of its honorees, who include notables such as Iditarod champ Susan Butcher, former Supreme Court Justice Dana Fabe, and indigenous rights activist Katie John. I thought they had the wrong Sandy Polson, she says but then I realized I probably was the only one. Polson has never sought the limelight at the paper. Although she's a fierce editor, she doesn't editorialize. Her humility and decades-long dedication to a profession that is under political assault at the highest levels is remarkable and rare. She feels very thankful and privileged to join the hall. I had the good luck of having women include me in this really amazing group of women. I just have to remind myself to smile modestly. Sandy Polson is the third Sitkin to be inducted into the Alaska Women's Hall of Fame, which was established in 2008. Alice Johnstone and Terry Rothgar were inducted in the class of 2018. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. 
Governor Dunleavy's public health emergency disaster declaration is set to expire on November 15th. Healthcare providers and local governments say they need that declaration, which allows them to better respond to the pandemic. As Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports, four different groups are urging Dunleavy to extend the declaration. The Alaska Native Health Board represents regional health organizations and advocates for Alaska Native health. It sent a letter to Dunleavy last week asking him to extend the declaration. The crisis of COVID-19 is not over for rural Alaska, and it's not over for Alaska Native communities. In fact, it's really just beginning, and we're seeing that in the really large number of cases that have been coming out from rural Alaska. That's Wynn Davis. He's a policy analyst for the health board. Davis notes that the shares of COVID-19 cases and deaths affecting Alaska Natives are larger than their share of the population. Davis points out that the largely Native communities of Chivax, Stebbins, Buckland, and Gamble have all had massive outbreaks recently. Davis says the mandates Dunleavy and state health leaders issued under the disaster declaration in the spring slowed the spread of the virus in rural Alaska. And he says the disaster could worsen if the state ends the declaration. It only stands to make the outbreak of COVID-19 worse in our hard-hit rural locations. Every state in the country has operated under some form of emergency order, and it doesn't appear that any state has intentionally ended its order. Keeping Alaska's declaration aligns the state with federal waivers that hospitals and nursing homes need. That's according to Jared Kosin, president and CEO of the Alaska State Hospital and Nursing Home Association. He also sent a letter to Dunleavy urging him to extend the declaration. He says it's not certain whether the federal government will continue to waive federal rules if the declaration ends. These waivers have allowed Alaska hospitals to do things like screen patients for COVID-19 outside of emergency rooms or prepare to treat COVID patients in outside alternate sites if there's a surge in patients. So that is a, a major issue because if we lose those flexibilities, our ability to deliver care quickly and creatively in the middle of the pandemic is really up in the air. Kosin says the hospitals are looking for Dunleavy's administration to clear up the uncertainty. That's the last thing we need right now in trying to deliver health care is, is determining whether or not we're even legally allowed to do so. The Alaska Municipal League also sent a letter urging Dunleavy to extend the disaster declaration. The letter says navigating this crisis without an emergency declaration may be, quote, calamitous, and that local governments, quote, cannot do this on their own. A group of Democratic and independent House members sent a letter to the Republican governor asking him to work together on an extension. They wrote that the recent surge in cases, quote, should be a call to action. Dunleavy spokesperson Jeff Turner says the governor hasn't decided whether to let the declaration expire. Turner says Dunleavy is assessing the situation and will decide by November 15th. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is 